Thank you for listening to the Peapod from the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Please note, due to the nature of this podcast, themes relating to the abuse and neglect of children are discussed, with the content being designed for an adult audience for educational purposes in order to protect children from harm. Therefore, listener discretion is advised and the content unsuitable for children. Welcome to the Peapod. Hello and welcome to The Peapod, the partnership podcast from the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Throughout these podcasts we'll be bringing you news and updates in relation to safeguarding children in Somerset and nationally, as well as exploring with you the various aspects of the partnership and the roles of the agencies within it. Now we felt it only fitting to start off the series of podcasts with today's episode, where we'll explain what safeguarding children partnerships actually are and what the role of the business unit of the partnership plays in helping to enable the partnership to fulfil its responsibilities. I'm pleased to say then that to help me with this, I'm joined in the studio today by two of my colleagues from the business unit, Jasmine and Rebecca, where we'll be talking about the partnership, what it does, why we have them in the first place, and how it functions and what your role is within it. So um, if we can just start off, Jasmine, can you just introduce yourself? Of course. Hi, I'm Jasmine and I'm the business manager for the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Lovely. Thanks, Jasmine. And Rebecca? Hi everyone, I'm Rebecca and I'm the Partnership Business Officer for the SSCP. Brilliant, thank you. My name is Steve McAbee, I'm the Multi-Agency Training Manager for the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership. Um, so Jasmine, can you start it off just talking about where does where does Safeguarding Children Partnerships come from? Why have we got partnerships um, and where do they originate from? Yeah, of course. So we've, uh, our partnership has come into place since 2019 So prior to that, you might have heard of the Safeguarding Children Board. So that was the previous arrangements in place where the local authority hosted partner agencies working towards multi-agency safeguarding arrangements for children in the area. So the Working Together guidance that was published by the government in 2018 gave us uh, this new idea of safeguarding partnerships, which places equal responsibility across the partners to ensure that there's robust multi-agency safeguarding arrangements in the area. So Jasmine, who who is actually part of the safeguarding arrangements? Who is part of the partnership? Yeah, so in Somerset, the partnership is led by three agencies. Those are Somerset Council, Somerset Integrated Care Board and Avon and Somerset Constabulary. So although it's led by those three agencies... Any kind of organisation who works with children and families in Somerset is part of the partnership and involved in our projects, initiatives and our statutory responsibilities. It's interesting because they, they didn't, uh, the government didn't include education as a statutory safeguarding partner, which I know caused a lot of, of debate at the time of, of working together coming in about education being part of a statutory safeguarding partner. And, um, you know, I think it's important to recognise the role that education plays in safeguarding children, there's a lot of responsibility placed on on education. Um, we see that in, in keeping children safe in education and the other statutory guidance. Um, and we know that children spend a large proportion of their childhood in education. And it was, it was interesting that in the update to working together in 2018, education wasn't included as a statutory partner. And I know that's been muted recently um, about whether that will change in the future. Um, but it's interesting. And, and I think that behind that is, is the recognition that actually education isn't 
a single body. It's not a single person. It's not a single agency. Um, essentially, no one agency, uh, no one school in Somerset could hold every school accountable. Um, but whether that changes or not in the future, we'll, you know, we'll have to see. But it's certainly discussed quite a lot and talked about quite a lot. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that changes with the, any future updates to working together. Um, what about the, the business unit then? Because obviously we, the three of us here all sit as part of the business unit. Um, and quite often people will think about the business unit being the partnership. Um, and I wonder if it's just useful to talk about what, what the business unit is, who it is who sits within it, what the team looks like, uh, and what we do. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The business unit aren't the partnership. We work for the partnership. And primarily, we support the partnership to meet their statutory responsibilities. Um, and that covers a whole range of things like training, which you leave on, uh, lead on, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, learning reviews, which we might talk a little bit more about later, and uh, multi-agency quality assurance activity and, and really listening to the voices of children in Somerset and parents and practitioners who are telling us um, their priorities and emerging issues. Um, so, Rebecca, you take a lead with, with some aspects of that. So was there anything you wanted to add about your role? Yeah, so in quality assurance, I get the opportunity to run focus groups with frontline practitioners um, we hear the voice of what frontline practitioners are telling us um, about how they're working with families, with children, um, how different publications or protocols or the work that we do as a group in the partnership uh, impact on their ability to do the, their job safeguarding and identifying situations for children and families in Somerset. Um, we also look at things like surveys. Um, we do self-assessments on uh, to quality assure um, and provide assurance to the three key partners as well around safeguarding arrangements in Somerset. And we get the opportunity as well to work with um, children and young people and families across Somerset as well to get interviews from them. We get the voice of the child, the voice of the family, and again, see how all of that work that the partnership are doing are impacting on their outcomes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like putting a jigsaw together. So, you know, the voices of practitioners, families and children are are one part of telling us what's going on in Somerset. We're also finding out through use of data or through the themes that come through learning reviews. All of those things help us to understand what our priorities are and what, what we need to develop locally. And then once we have a picture of that, that's where things like training might come in, wouldn't it, Steve? Yeah. And, and, I, I guess in a way it's the it's the kind of um, the reactive and proactive side of things, isn't it? I, th- I think, you know, when we're in terms of some of the work of the partnership, um, it's very much about the reactive looking at, at um, what changed nationally, some of the national learning, some of changes in legislation guidance, but also very importantly learning on that local basis in terms of sometimes things don't work out well children and actually how do we improve things how do we work move forward on things um and really kind of take the learning from that to improve safeguarding practice going forward so that's very much the 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 reactive side of things and then obviously the proactive side of things i think rebecca that's where you come in more in terms of that that kind of proactive looking at the quality assurance how do we actually know we've made a difference we can put things in place but so what you know what does that actually mean for children and and how do we know we've actually made any change there um, and what does the data tell us around that? And, and how can we look at that data? How can we interpret that data and, and um, also pick up on those themes, pick up on those, the, the kind of um, what that's telling us and how do we respond to that going forward? And then, yeah, the other side of it, I think, is, like you say, very much about how do we communicate that? 
how do we put that forward? How do we actually make that change in practice? Um, so part of that, you're absolutely right, is about the the training um, that I run, that uh, my colleague Sam runs. Um, but also it, it's about how do we best get that message out? How do we best make those changes? So it might be training. Um, it might be around publications. It might be through the newsletter. It uh, might be through the videos that we produce now, uh, podcasts such as this. You know, how do we most effectively make that change going forward? I think, is that, would you say that's a fair? Yeah, and, and some of that might be through speaking directly to practitioners, like through podcasts, our learning bulletin, training. And some of that is about working with the strategic management across the partnership to uh, achieve systemic change. Mm. Yeah. So just just picking up from what we we're talking about in terms of, of learning, um, Jasmine, I just wonder if you could just talk to us about um, what happens when there's been a, a, a really significant safeguarding event taking place, um, sort of what, what would trigger that, um, who would trigger that and, and sort of what happens? Yeah, absolutely. So again, we've got some new language that has been in use since 2019. Um, prior to 2019, you may have heard of serious case reviews. Um, that's now been replaced with, this, with the setup of new partnerships with a new approach to learning. So if there is a serious incident, which would be defined as the death or serious injury of a child in Somerset, then it's the duty of the local authority to notify the national panel and then start what we call a rapid review to look at the learning for agencies from that incident um, and how how we can learn from tragic events and how we can um, develop practice locally to reduce risk in future. So can I, what, what's, what's, I, I think people are often quite familiar with um, the term serious case reviews. You know, they're in place for, for a long time. Could, would you be able to kind of summarise what the, the difference is between a serious case review um, and the rapid reviews? Yeah, so although serious case review has serious in the title, I'd say uh, both kinds of review are equally as serious as each other. So they have the same criteria about when you would do either of those reviews. Um, however, the, the key difference is time. So a serious case review would often take many months uh, to finally publish, it would uh, be a lengthy document that really goes into that chronology and all the detail of an incident um, and I guess cause cause some delay in terms of getting those key messages out there mm. and supporting change across the system. So the approach with rapid reviews is they have to be undertaken within three weeks so a much shorter timescale than serious case reviews. Because I think the, the timescales for a serious case review, roughly, I think the average timescale was about 20 months, just shy of two years. Um, and generally two to three years was the, was the timescale for it, wasn't it? And, and I know, although this changed back in September 2019, we're still seeing nationally uh, serious case reviews still coming through the system several years behind. And uh, for me, that always posed a couple of, of big risks, really. And one is that that risk of looking at things retrospectively. Um, and when you when you kind of read things, you think, okay, well, so much has changed in the last few years. Actually, it's not really relevant for me anymore. Um, but actually, we know from serious case reviews, those messages come up time and time and time again. Yeah, and and they're, they're messages that everyone is familiar with, sadly, of that, that lack of information sharing, lack of joined up working, um, lack of collective accountability, all these kind of things. 
we see coming up all the time. And and um, and I think that's kind of part of the risk of the, the serious case reviews is that it was the same messages all the time. And and I think the other risk with it taking so long is that actually we, we could be making positive change in that time. We could be safeguarding children better. Um, but potentially with serious case reviews, we're waiting two to three years down the line before that review is completed, before the publication of that, the promotion of it, um, where arguably within those two to three years, we could have been doing things much, much better. Mm, so I think the changes to the system really recognise that. And and that's why there is this deadline of three weeks to get the system together, to examine what happened and what learning we can take from that and then submit that to the national panel alongside an action an action plan of how we're going to make changes across the system. Mm. So so the other part of that process, isn't it, is the, the Child Safeguarding Practice Review. Um, and because we love acronyms, the, the CSPR. Um, can you talk to me, what, what's the difference between a, a rapid review and a Child Safeguarding Practice Review? And when would we do a, a Child Safeguarding Practice Review? Yeah. So the criteria for a rapid review and a CSPR are exactly the same. So if you meet the criteria for a rapid review you may well meet the criteria for a CSPR. But there's a difference between them. So a rapid review takes three weeks to submit, but sometimes at the end of three weeks, you might be left with some key questions and key themes that have come through that need a deeper dive. Uh, In that case, that would be when you have a CSPR taking place. And that would be about uh, any action you're taking after a rapid review, which is taking a, a deeper look at the learning and take carrying those questions forward to be able to um, consider it in more detail and come up with a plan at the end of it. But even a CSPR has a six-month deadline, so no reviews taking two or three years um, since the partnership arrangements have come about. Yeah, and, uh, and I know, I think the other big change around it, isn't it, is about, it's not about the narrative, it's not about telling the story. And I, and I think that was a culture that was recognised in the review by Sir Alan Wood is is that many serious case reviews um, often focused about the story, telling the story, but not really focusing on actually how can we make things better? How can we improve things? Um, the analysis side of it. Um, and I think the other thing that Sir Alan Wood identified was actually there was quite a culture of, of blame around serious case reviews um, and that worry of people going into that review process that potentially they would be criticised for it Potentially they could lose their job for it. And that's certainly been a national culture going back a number of years. Um, and I think that's the other big shift, isn't it, with the rapid reviews and child safeguarding practice reviews is, is, is not about finding fault. It's not about finding individual blame there. It's very much about the system-based learning and how we can improve things as systems and, and as part of the partnership. Yeah, and there's different approaches to undertaking a CSPR. So it might be that there's an incident involving one child and a CSPR takes place to look at that in more detail. Or you can have thematic CSPRs, which might look at more than one child and look at the trends across the incidents that happened and identify learning for the system. Brilliant, thank you. I should say, I think it's also really important to recognise that within the scope of a rapid review and a CSPR, you can highlight good practice. It's not always system change. It's also highlight the good practice that agencies are are showing. Um, And I think that is really missed opportunity sometimes. We don't always recognise that in our daily practice. So it is an opportunity to to see that. I think you're right. We we do tend to focus on when things have gone wrong. Um, And it's important we do, and it's important we learn from that. But I think you're right. We we're not so good nationally 
at learning from good practice and celebrating good practice. And, and actually, I think you're right. There's, there's just as much, if not more, that we can learn from good practice um, when things work right. So I think you're right to pick up on that, 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 yeah, we do need to get better at that nationally, I think, and improve on that and, and um, yeah, learn from that good practice when that takes place. So I'm, I'm just thinking, and in terms of some of the work of the partnership as well, we've talked about how we... Um, learn when there's been significant safeguarding events taking place. But wider than that, how how does the partnership kind of really pick up on and identify some of the work that needs to take place? Because it, it doesn't all kind of just come from uh, a rapid review or child safeguarding practice review. And how do we look at the, the bigger picture, um, really, in terms of safeguarding children? Um, and I know some of the work of the partnership is very much looking at, at uh, within the subgroups, things like child exploitation, um, Rebecca, in terms of sort of picking up on those themes with the work that you do around the, the data, um, how does that kind of get fed into the, the work of the partnership? So the partnership tends to look at a smaller number of priorities and these tend to cover complex areas of children's safeguarding that might require a deeper sort of collective understanding across the system and inform a sort of targeted and coordinated approach. Um, so so we might look at this through um, a group called the Quality and Performance um, subgroup. And these the kind of the priorities are generally identified through analysis of themes arising from partnership scrutiny and quality assurance processes, some of those um, focus groups, some of those surveys. It might be through data, so we might see um, spikes within the data. We might challenge some of that if we're seeing um, continuous uh, trends within that data um, against different organisations. They might come through with some issues um, that they need to address. Could you, sorry, just to interrupt, could you possibly just give an example of that? What sort of data, we, you know, where, where those trains might, might come out? So, for example, um, we might see data coming through from, um, for example, hospital data, where we might be seeing particularly, I mean, the last couple of years we've seen non-accidental injuries rising nationally uh, to very young babies. Certainly, we've we've seen some of those incidents in Somerset, and we might then see uh, within the subset of that data coming through from health that there is particular times of the year where this might happen. It might be that we see in trends in data that it occurs around particular events um, that trigger uh, behaviours from people, such as you know uh, summertime cultures or football which we all know sort of um, exacerbates domestic abuse. It might also have an impact on non-accidental injury in, in children as well. So that's the kind of thing that we might look at as an example. Um, and that will then start to inform some of the uh, the activities and the actions that then underpin the, the work that we do to try and understand the situation and put things in place to start to mitigate for some of those incidents. Yeah, and I think that's a really good example of the real benefit that a, an effective partnership can achieve because this is people coming from across the safeguarding system in Somerset, coming together and taking a real deep dive into what different parts of the safeguarding system are telling us and what we can learn from that and, and then carry that forward into action. So, yeah, it's just a it's one great example of, of how across the partnership we're working together to achieve change. Rebecca, Jasmine, brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm just wondering, just one last little thing is, is if somebody's listening to this today um, and thinking, well, that, that's great, but what does this mean to me? How, how can I link in better with the partnership? 
Um, what, what would you say? What, what were some of, the, some of the key routes that people could link in better with a partnership? There's a multitude of ways you can get involved and probably a first port of call would be our website where you can find out information about upcoming events, training and learning opportunities that you might want to get involved in and some of the learning activity that we might have undertaken through uh, rapid reviews or CSPRs as well. Mm. Yep, you can sign up to our newsletter, the Learning Bulletin as well. That's a monthly newsletter that will update you on um, publications, on the, the protocols that we might come into uh, putting in place. We've got uh, outcomes from the case reviews. We'll have training opportunities in there. There'll be articles as well from across the system as well on learning um, and understanding what our partners do as well, which is quite key, I think, for a lot of people. They want to understand what everyone else in the system does and how they self-support. Yeah, and we want to hear from you. So please keep your eyes out for any surveys we're putting out or focus groups because every part of the safeguarding system has a really important perspective to bring that we need to kind of collect all together to really understand what's going on locally. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for spending your time today with me to explain what the SSCP is. It's really appreciated. Now, if you'd like to find out more about the Somerset Safeguarding Children Partnership, you can find details by going to our website, somersetsafeguardingchildren.org.uk. Importantly, though, we want to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments for us from today's episode, or if you would like to join us for a future episode, we'd love to hear from you at the peapod at somerset.gov.uk. We hope you found listening to today's podcast useful in being able to understand the partnership better. And thank you for joining us as well. So do come back for future episodes where we'll be exploring further aspects of the partnership and speaking about the topics that really make a difference to children and young people's lives in Somerset. And we look forward to you joining us again next time at the Peapod. Let's work together to help keep children safe.